This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 291 of The Bugle uh, for the week ending Friday the 24th of April 2015 with me, Andy Zaltzman, and joining me from the silly side of the Atlantic in New York City, it's the last remaining thread that keeps the moth-eaten woolen underpants of the transatlantic special relationship from completely unravelling. It's the police sergeant of political shenanigans, the detective chief inspector of dickbags, charlatans and idiots. It's superintendent satire himself, the one-man comedic Columbo that is John Oliver. Put your hands behind your back and walk away from the punchline. <laughs> Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Andy, uh, this week was a strange one uh, for me. I was, for best reasons known to them, uh, named one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World, which is clearly terrible news for Time Magazine, people, the world in general, and the concept of influence. (laughs) My presence on that list, Andy, is a canary in the coal mine for the planet Earth, and that canary is dead, and he didn't die recently. The best... The best byproduct of this honorary abomination is the fact that on Tuesday night, I got to attend a dinner for the names on the list. Now, not all the other 99 people were there, Andy, and I'll tell you why. Because two of the people on the list were Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un. <laughs> so, but both of whose, you have to say, names still make more sense being on that list than mine f***ing does. But that's not the point. The point is it's a shame, because I very much would have liked to be sitting between them at dinner. Functioning as the very bemused filling in an extremely angry sandwich. Uh, it was it was a strange night, perfectly and inexplicably capped by a performance from Kanye West, who performed like a man who not only felt comfortable being named one of the 100 most influential people, but who also assumed that he was number one. <laughs> After... After watching him in action, Andy, I think in terms of just self-confidence, I may be the anti-Kanye West. (laughs) The anti-Yeezy, if you will. His wife is, of course, Kim Kardashian. And in a moment that I can only describe as brief, she was walking, walking past me and a photographer asked for a photo of us together. She gestured with her hand for me to come in with a demure wave that I've only ever previously seen on the Queen. <laughs> at events she had no interest being at. The photographer took one single photo, and at the moment of the flash, I was thinking, this is not an image the world needs. <laughs> now, I haven't seen the photo yet, Andy, but if anyone ever does, that is the thought behind my confused eyes. It was, to put it mildly, Andy, a strange evening. <laughs> uh, so uh, I was uh, also uh, named uh, one of the uh, 100 most influential people living on my road in Streatham. So it's been a pretty big week for, uh, for both well, it of means, that means That means as much, Andy. <laughs> both, both of those things are entirely subjective. <laughs> Uh, this is uh, Bugle 291. 291, of course, the ultimate uh, best of total in the coin toss series held by Hillary Clinton when deciding whether or not to run for president again when she went uh, 146, 145 up. Her mind was made. Also, uh, 291, the number of turkeys who voted for Christmas the last time such a referendum was held. That was back in 1968. Only 248 voted against Christmas. So Christmas uh, remains to this day. Uh, The rest of the world's estimated uh, 350 million turkeys either didn't register to vote or pecked their ballot papers to pieces. So uh, they can't complain about the results. And... uh, Week ending 24th of April uh, 2015, that means it's 25,000 years to the day 
since uh, a caveman inadvertently invented breakdancing whilst trying to manoeuvre his way quickly out of a slightly undersized cave whilst avoiding being bitten by a pack of scorpions. So, uh, historic, <laughs> uh, historic day. So, uh, how, how was your uh, happy birthday, John? Um, oh, thank you. I mean, uh, that's the most uh, historic anniversary of this week, 23rd, 23rd oh, sure. of April 1977. The uh, the world was uh, introduced to both Mr. John Oliver and Mr. John Cena. The uh, <laughs> two, two sides of the same he, coin for me. Is he the same age as well? Exactly the same year, John. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And he became the World Wrestling Federation's champion of the world. And um, and then there's also me. <laughs> We've taken different paths with our life. His is a path of physical dominance. Right. Mine is a path of relentless apologising. Right. Did you... Uh, were you tempted to try and pretend that the time 100 most important people in the world party was actually your birthday party and this was just your <laughs> standard standard guest list? Yeah, sure, sure. That's right. I whispered in a couple of people's ears, of course, it's my birthday in two days. And... Um, they would pretend to hear, nod, and look over my shoulder and move on to someone more interesting. <laughs> uh, as always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin. This week, a special historic wearable tech section. As we've had the uh, long-awaited launch of the Apple Watch. Uh, it's amazing to think, John, that uh, for 150,000 years now, our species has been waiting for a device small enough to wear on our wrists that finally spares us the logistical tyranny of having to carry around a device small enough to fit in our pockets. Uh, I can only say on behalf of humanity, thank f*** for the Apple Watch. It's a massive step forward for the watch. The Apple Watch has a battery that lasts, check this, for an entire day. No tedious winding this baby up every two or three minutes, like with an old-style mechanical watch that had broken, but you couldn't bring yourself to throw away for sentimental reasons. No tedious having to replace the battery every two, three or four years. Not with the all-new Apple Watch. You just need to charge it once every 24 hours and always carry your iPhone with you. This is a massive step change in watch tech. Uh, it has a digital touch feature that allows users to tap their watch face to send customizable buzzes to their friend's wrist, or even transmit their heartbeat in real time. And, I mean, in terms of social media, this, this is huge. You're not going to be able to keep your friends up to date with whether or not your heart is still beating. Oh, no, I think Eric might be dead. Either that or he forgot to take his phone with him. Better call an undertaker just in case. Of course, there's a very great danger in uh, tech like this not working. We'll investigate that. They reckon half of all ISIS recruits are just people who set their sat-nav wrong and ended up driving to Homs instead of home. And uh, there are already stories of a man who spent three years in a swimming pool just because he didn't get a Google alert to get out but ended up growing gills and marrying a turtle, so it wasn't all bad. Uh, we uh, reported previously on the uh, Bugle on Apple's development of the Apple Eyeball. That's still on course to replace all human eyeballs by the uh, year 2028. In the section bin this week, we're also reviewing other wearable tech that is soon to hit the shops, including the Samsung Cravat, modelled on the 19th century gentleman's neckwear of choice. The Samsung Cravat re receives real-time updates from absolutely everything. And when news breaks that requires your attention, it alerts you by constricting around your neck to slightly asphyxiate you. A warning on fast news days may cause fatal strangulation. Uh, we also look at the Motorola Sock, the must-have tech accessory for today's fitness-obsessed fanatic. The Motorola Sock, which uh, can be fitted on either a medium-term or permanent basis, is programmed to bleep every time you put your foot on the ground, so you can keep real-time track of whether or not you're moving, and if so, 
how fast. Uh, and the Hypersock sends instant updates to your Facebook page so everyone can see whether you're walking, jogging, sitting around or fleeing for your life. And there are plans in place to r- provide free Motorola socks to anyone who lives within three miles of an active volcano. So when more than 30% of those wearers simultaneously start sprinting, scientists will know the volcano is most likely erupting. And also we review the Nokia Prince Albert, the highest tech penile piercing in human history. The NPA will automatically alert your, uh, what's the French term, Tojleur de Monsieur, with a series of customizable buzzes to keep you and your wang fully up to date with all the latest goings on in the world of news, finance and sport. Whenever you receive an email, tweets, Instagram, product release, carrier pigeon message or stock market updates, the NPA will inform you by mildly electrocuting your... Uh, as the Germans call it, uh, flesh and gutrubersblout. It will buzz 200% more vigorously if that communication comes from a person or commercial organisation that you secretly fancy, and it is fully compatible with Tinder. That section in the bin. Top story this week, UK election news. Britain's prepare to go to the polls, or not. Many, many will not go. (laughs) Many won't go. (laughs) Many are preparing not to do it. Andy... As you know far better than I, uh, the UK general election takes place in just two weeks. Uh, There's been almost no coverage of it here, and that's understandable because the US media is too invested in their own election, which is taking place just around the corner, (laughs) albeit that that corner is over 18 f***ing months away. But I can only imagine the excited mood over there, Andy. In fact, let me imagine it now. Is it a mixture of forced anticipation combined with resentment and pessimism, because that's the inspirational atmosphere that I remember. It's uh, pretty much that. I'd say this is simultaneously the most and least eagerly awaited election in living memory, that there is a kind of mixture of total uncertainty as to what is going to happen and complete and utter resignation over whatever the outcome finally is. So, um, <laughs> well, that's the, that's the interesting thing, because this election may genuinely go down to the wire. I believe the current polling has both the Conservatives and the Labour Party at 34%, with, uh, with any advantage well within the margin of error. It could be a photo finish, Andy. And if so, it would really be the John Oliver and Kim Kardashian version <laughs> of a photo finish. Two people neck and neck who in an ideal world would not be the next leader of a country. (laughs) Uh, Although the closeness of this election is in many ways what makes it so interesting, and it also could be what makes it problematic, because under the UK system, the election could end up with a hung parliament, which I believe is called that because MPs would just hang around all day getting absolutely (laughs) nothing done. Is that a fair reflection, Andy, of what the system would turn into. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's basically, basically it. Um, um, politics has found itself in the public eye, and whenever that happens, the public basically just attempts to gouge its own eyeball out with any available <laughs> implement. It's by just sticking brooch pins into its eye, Oedipus style, just anything to stop them having to look politics directly in the face. What we've got here is a massively unpopular government versus an equally unpopular opposition, the completely resistible force against the easily movable object. It is a thrilling clash, John. Thrilling. As you say, the polls the polls have scarcely moved at all for the whole campaign, despite the party throwing all their hard-earned and not particularly hard-earned cash at the problem. And when I say cash, this is not cash in the way that cash is thrown at an American election. John, I mean, I think the sums involved in British elections, I don't think any American candidate would 
even break wind for, frankly. It, it's incredible. In, in Britain, all registered parties are restricted in their spending for the entire year before an election. They can spend up to £30,000. I can't even say this without <laughs> laughing. £30,000 for each seat they contest, which adds up to around £19.5 million if they fight every constituency. That, Andy, is adorable. <laughs> Political parties here... Spend that on their balloon budget. Just balloons. That in no way counts any confetti cannons. <laughs> that is extra and a lot extra. The, the last UK election in 2010 cost in total £84.6 million to administer. That's it. That's com- in, in America, Andy, I'm pretty sure we spent that much staging half a WrestleMania. <laughs> well, I was reading a uh, fact about this. They reckon the... Um the uh, current, well, the current US election, can we, can we call it current yet? The current US election yeah, campaign. Yeah. You can, and you can be referring to all elections, because they <laughs> just don't stop now. Uh, for the rest of time. Um, and uh, it's, uh, I do think the way that American campaigning is going, by 2028, all it will involve is one Democrat and one Republican standing six inches away from each other, screaming in each other's faces until one of them falls over and a winner is declared. Um, but uh, six billion, I think they're expecting this one to cost, the 20... Uh, 16 uh, election. But, I mean, you might think that is a lot. Every year, America spends $7.9 billion on Halloween. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that is simultaneously both extremely uplifting and completely <laughs> fundamentally terrifying. Uh, there's all, already a great deal of scaremongering over what a hung parliament would actually mean. Uh, the Conservative Party have argued that it's potentially a lot worse than getting nothing done. It's Scottish people getting a say in things. (laughs) And to the Conservative Party, Andy, giving Scottish people a representational voice in democracy is like giving a horse an iPad. (laughs) It just makes no sense. They have no idea what to do with it, and they'll probably break the thing completely so no one else can use it. (laughs) Well, it's the first rule of electoral politics, John. When the going gets tough, the tough get bullshitting. And a survey of Britain's leading scaremongering firms revealed that uh, I think 72% of all scares in the average five-year political cycle are mongered within three weeks of a general election. And most of them, uh, in the past week, have involved the apocalyptic scenario of some form of possible Labour-Scottish National Party deal after the election, warnings of disasters, chaos, even coups, John. It's been a while since we had a proper coup in this country, and that ended up with a monarch with his head on a spike. So um, uh, it's reached the point where our politicians are no longer bothering to encourage people to vote for what they want but trying to frighten them into voting against what they most don't want. And short of David Cameron dressing up in a white sheet and trying to haunt people through their bedroom windows with spooky economic projections, it's hard to see how much more childish it can get if you're a democracy fan. The Tories are warning that we're all doomed if Labour and the SNP team up. Labour's warning that we're all doomed if we talk about how we might be all doomed, while the SNP continues to spread its terrifying apocalyptic scare stories of investment in public services, building long overdue houses, trying to keep pensioners warm enough not to die, and above all, the truly world-ending scenario of letting women have a go at frontline politics. It's absolutely terrifying, John. People can barely sleep in this country at the moment. There are a few little details of the UK election I thought might be worth mentioning. One of my favourite things each election is where people get a chance to vote, because polling stations... Uh, in Britain can be basically anywhere. Electoral rules state that they should be just accessible, identifiable and provide the all-important privacy for voters. Uh, They should also be the right size to meet the needs of the local electorate and allow a queue of people to flow through. And that's pretty broad 
And that's a good thing, because at least the vote's been cast in some wonderful demonstrations of electoral eccentricity. In in the village of Little Bardfield, votes will be cast at the Cricket Club Pavilion, Yay. Andy. And that is a pretty English sequence of words. Voting in a cricket pavilion in a village called Little Bardfield. Could not get any more English without having Charles Dickens turn up and throw an orphan at you. But... but but it doesn't stop there. Other polling stations will be set up at the East Hull Boxing Club and and at the Swerve Table Tennis Centre in Middlesbrough. Uh, you can also vote in pubs, uh, which means you can vote and get a simultaneous pint at the Dolphin in Gillingham, the Red Lion in Belchamp Otten, Otten, and at the Elephant Castle in Rochdale, among many, many others. And if they set up a polling station inside your local pub and you still don't vote, at that point, I think every what needs to accept voting is just not for you. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not your thing. I've been to Gillingham, John. I used to go and watch football there. And frankly, you are going to need a stiff drink before voting there because that is a town that democracy and progress has forgotten. <laughs> The only thing that could make that process better is if the barman himself takes your vote along with your order. Thanks, Tony. Can I get two pints of beer, a vote for Theresa May, and a packet of pork scratchings, please? Actually, forget the vote for Theresa. I'll just get a third pint instead. <laughs> but, but, what, but when it comes to luxury voting, Andy, if you really want to make a day of your democratic duty, you have got to head down to the polling station at the Royal Chase Hotel in Shaftesbury. Why? I'll tell you why, Andy. It has a spa and an indoor swimming pool. That's why. Vote with hope in your heart and a pair of cucumbers over your eyes. That's what the ancient Greeks had in mind. Although, for sheer convenience, you can't go wrong with, and this is true, the Ace Laundrette on Girdleston Road in Oxford. They will once again be a registered polling station, Andy. Vote till it hurts while we clean your shirts is not the slogan there, but frankly, it f***ing should be. But finally, for the... Intimate personal experience, a boutique voting station, if you will. Look no further than the, the, than the home of Peter and Christine Hodgkinson in Rochdale, who for the last four decades have turned their cottage dining room into an election booth. Peter, Peter Hodgkinson said, because of the area that we live in, a lot of people come and we have a natter because we, we do not see them one year to the next, so it's like a social gathering. So there you go. Just pop round Peter and Christine's and vote and they'll natter at you. <laughs> Amongst the Tory scare stories about the Miliband-Sturgeon conjunction, which ironically was the name of a medical condition that uh, interwar's Prime Minister Stanley Baldwin suffered from in the 1930s, he could barely sit down at times, uh, was uh, that David Cameron, the uh, professional Prime Minister um, and no-time general election winner, described it as a match made in hell. Now, I'm starting to think, John, that hell might be slightly losing its edge if this is the best it can produce a slightly fractious potential negotiation between two political parties on the same side of the political spectrum. Beating that was an article by London Mayor Boris Johnson in The Telegraph, uh, in which he said, talking about the prospect of uh, allowing the SNP power in Westminster, he said, you wouldn't get King Herod to run a baby farm, would you? <laughs> and, and uh, well, no, you wouldn't. Boris, because, well, for a start, Herod has been out of the baby game for quite a long time. He probably wouldn't be any good at it anymore. Modern farming techniques have moved on from 2,000-odd years ago when you just had to do a humane cull every now and again. But besides, John, if you are going to run a baby farm, which generally pretty much frowned on by most legal systems around the world, the very last thing you want is a high-profile celebrity appointment 
that is going to get you a lot of press coverage. You want to keep it out of the spotlights. Yeah, it might be a heartwarming story of how former celebrity biblical firstborn slayer and king Herod has found redemption growing babies on a farm. But just keep f***ing stum about the f***ing baby farm. It is, at best, unlikely to get an EU subsidy. And uh, he continued to say, Can someone tell me why in the name of all that is holy that there are some apparently rational people who are contemplating the elevation of the Scottish National Party to a position of effective dominance in the government of the United Kingdom, an entity that they are sworn to destroy. Well, I can tell you why that is, Boris. It's because those apparently rational people you have such disdain for are the voting public of Scotland. And the reason that they want to destroy the UK is because people like you keep telling them they cannot be trusted with a voting pencil. So... It's it's a fascinating election. The SNP said to get a lot of seats, around 8% of the seats in Parliament, from about 4% of the national vote, whilst the uh, less-than-charming UK Independence Party and, uh, the, um, uh, and the Green Party, between them could get about 18% of the vote and less than 1% of the seats. And what I guess all this screams is that our electoral system simply does not work. <laughs> Bugle feature section now, and it's St George. It was uh, on your birthday, John, uh, of course, coincides with St George's Day, uh, the uh, day of our national patron saints. Uh, You share your birthday with them, and yet you still abandoned your country in its hour of need. (laughs) So, yeah, well done. Well, if that's what it takes to get in the time time to top 100, (laughs) I'm not interested. Uh, Um, I I abandoned my country, Andy, (laughs) in a lasting time of indifference. (laughs) Um, uh, we were hoping that uh, St George was going to come on the show today, but uh, his PR person said he might not be able to make it as he was sadly martyred in the year 303 AD after refusing to worship a non-Christian god. Um, but he's, he's a great symbol for the modern British establishment. He's from a well-to-do family and he's eligible for non-dom tax status. Uh, but it's interesting looking at the uh, the different versions of the St George story. Um, uh, version one uh, of, of his uh, dragon-slaying legend is that villagers tried to distract a dragon um, that, so, so they could reach uh, the, the spring for which they got all their water. And they distracted the dragon initially by feeding it sheep. And then when they ran out of sheep, they started feeding it instead young women, um, maidens, basically. And you have to think, was, was that really the best plan B? I mean, that does show how much it is a man's world, John. Oh, the dragon's not eating his sheep today. Any other ideas? Yes, maidens. What about cows? No, maidens. I reckon he much prefers maidens. Pigs? No, he's Jewish. A Jewish dragon? Yeah, they mostly are. Give them a maiden. Are maidens kosher? Yes, as long as they don't live in a shell. I'll pop the barbecue on. Uh, now, the maidens were drawn by lots, apparently, according to the story. No one batted an eyelid. Mrs Pankhurst, did you die in vain? Until a princess was drawn out by lots, and then, and only then, did St George spring into action. So this is classic British behaviour, obsessed with the monarchy and prioritising the upper classes. He is the best patron saint. We, people complain that, uh, you know, he's, he's not, he never came to England, he's, uh, and also that he's, he spreads himself pretty thin. He's listed on Wikipedia as patron saint or joint patron saint of 13 countries, including f***ing Moldova. Could we not be doing better than this? He's also the patron saint of skin disease sufferers and syphilis sufferers. That's just encouraging a benefits culture, people sitting back and expecting St George to cure them rather than getting out there and curing themselves. Patron saint of archers, which I guess might explain the government's attitude towards outdated military equipment. Um, Other versions of the story is that he just hated all reptiles indiscriminately 
flew into a rage whenever he saw anything even slightly scaly, and the day he killed the dragon he'd already slain an entire colony of 85 newts and eaten a raw gecko in front of a room full of children. Uh, he just happened to be passing by when he saw the dragon, jumped off his horse, Sweetie I think it was called, he inherited it from his sister when she went off horse riding, stripped down to his Bermuda shorts and screamed at the dragon, You and me, Big Liz, mano a mano, before headbutting the confused beast to death, whilst it was midway through its morning snack of an onion and sesame seed bagel with cream cheese and maiden. Um... Uh, other um, suggestion is that uh, it didn't actually happen, that it's all symbolic, that St George was a symbol of the church and the dragon stood for something, um, not sure what, possibly birth control. And uh, the other option is that it's a positive spin on a slightly embarrassing story from 279 AD in which the future saint killed a drag queen. Your emails now, and this one comes in from Jeppe in Denmark, who says, um, I recently discovered that Pakistan is the only nation in the world that does not recognise Armenia as a country. They've never been to war or had any serious disputes. Pakistan just doesn't feel like recognising Armenia. If this is something a country can just choose, I don't want Denmark to recognise what used to be New Sweden and is basically a part of Delaware now. And it turns out there was a Swedish colony along the lower reaches of the Delaware River from 1638 to 1655. Keep that fire burning, Jeppa. I hope we've pronounced your name right. The official uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Republic of Armenia on its uh, website says, diplomatic relations between the Republic of Armenia and Islamic Republic of Pakistan are not established. Okay. I mean, um, mean, are there any countries, John, that you just flatly do not recognise as existing? Well, and that is well. That that is a mind. That's a diplomatic minefield, Andy. Um, you know, I've been denying to myself that Wales exists for a long time. <laughs> was that after a tough gig at Cardiff University? <laughs> yeah, Cardiff was always fine, Andy. Swansea was a battle. <laughs> oh, I remember the battle in Swansea. I was there, fighting by your side against the uh, <laughs> the five foot four inch Ali G impersonator who threatened you with a fight. It was very nearly a physical battle. <laughs> uh, so, if there's any countries that you think should not be recognised, then uh, we as <laughs> <laughs> oh, darn, yeah. Chris has got his head in his hands now. I see that uh, in the Farage era of British politics, that is a dangerous road to go down. The, yeah, the, pro- the problem, Andy, <laughs> is you are whacking a wasp's nest with a big stick with this question. I would not throw this question out to buglers because <laughs> okay. the, the whole world has a lot of opinions over countries that shouldn't exist. And sadly... <laughs> Sadly, the answers are often very anti-Semitic. <laughs> I don't think Andy officially finished that sentence, so we're all right. Yeah, yeah. I would give this as wide a berth as possible. So, uh, I think you're mistaking a comic premise for a declaration <laughs> of war here. <laughs> it's always such a fine line. Uh, Australia, I'd go. I'd probably go with that just 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 for the duration of the of the English cricketing summer. Um, Anyway, do get your emails coming in to info at thebuglepodcasts.com. Uh, uh, oh, someone sent us in a picture of a poster for Berlusconi the Musical, um, which is probably the logical endpoint of all Western civilization. So, um, seen in the streets of Copenhagen. That's a very, very De- Denmark-heavy letters section this week. Uh, keep them uh, coming in to info at thebuglepodcast.com. Don't forget to have a look at our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash the hyphen bugle and you can get the bugle merch at the bugle podcast uh, dot uh, dot com uh, a quick update now on the bugle uh, uh, appeal um, uh, michelle and her family are now hoping that they will be going to philadelphia in the extremely near future will uh, have um, uh, further 
uh, updates hopefully within uh, within a week or two. Uh, and it's essentially been made possible largely by your donations, Buglers. Um, so uh, thanks very much for that, and I'll have uh, more details hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so there will be a uh, sub-bugle uh, next week, and uh, we will hopefully be back with a day-after-the-election bugle special in two weeks' time. Uh, in the meantime, to our British listeners, vote hard, vote often. You, <laughs> you can't complain about both apathy and electoral fraud. It just shows excessive commitment <laughs> to the process. So, <laughs> good luck. Vote as often and as dishonestly as you possibly can. It is the British way. Until next time, buglers, goodbye. Bye! Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss Lime Bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.